0: So today we'll be back in Acts where we were on verse 48. Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the fellowship of the saints and the truth of the gospel and the eternal hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a chance to study together today. Give us wisdom and understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is what we talked about a little bit and. There may have been some questions, because this was right toward the end. But when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, what causes the questions is why would Luke add that phrase at the end, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and I pointed out the word appointed Tasso eight times in the New Testament, five in the book of Acts, means having been set in order, having been set in order. And so the point is some Gentiles believe, but look at it something else here which would cause the idea that they believed to be connected to God's eternal Purposes, because the passive here, having been set, is a divine passive. One would uh, have to believe because nobody else besides God could appoint somebody to eternal life, and it is used also in Romans thirteen one, where Paul said every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God, uses the same exact term. So God appointed the authorities. So maybe we can use that as a little illustration to help us understand a biblical world view in regard to God's providence, God's purposes, and God's working in the world. And uh, after Sunday school, I talked to some folks and, and that asked some questions and mentioned some things that people have said about this. So I want to address it. I want us to be able to embrace what the Bible says and understand why. Those who are appointed believe. Now, if you look at the passage in Romans 13, the civil authorities are placed there by God. The Bible holds a view that I have told you about, and it's called compatibilism. And let me again explain what compatibilism means. It means that God's sovereign providential working in history is compatible with human freedom and human decision-making and that you don't have to choose one or the other. Now, a lot of evangelical teachers over the last couple centuries have suggested that compatibilism is false. You either have to choose man has freedom to make decisions, or God is sovereign over everything, including things like who ends up being the king. But you can't believe both, because if God is sovereignly determining these things, then humans, I've heard people say, are nothing more than robots. In fact, uh, that's commonly said now. Of course, that's a more recent idea, because robots weren't around hundreds of years ago. The point is, that's not... It's not accurate. It's not the biblical view. When I made a commitment decades ago to spend the rest of my life teaching verse by verse through the Bible, then I had also, with that commitment, an, an absolute necessity, a moral necessity, to tell people what God said in His Word, whether it's something I like or not. In other words, I'm not at liberty to massage the Bible until it sounds good to people. God never said to do that. So if God says something, he does so for a reason. And if we say there's a whole bunch of things God says that we don't like and we're not going to listen to, then we're harming ourselves, not anybody else, other than the people that listen to us if we teach maybe our families, we're always better off understanding the whole counsel of God. It helps us have peace. It helps us glorify God. It helps us see the weightiness of God's character in our hearts and minds, as I'll be preaching on this morning. Let's look again. To Open your Bible to the one in Romans. I'm uh, thinking of maybe some other ways to help you understand this because the same word is used in Romans 13.1 today by the way is a little bit ad hoc I didn't know I was going to teach Sunday school until yesterday afternoon but that's okay it's part of God's sovereignty too <laughs> I don't have to, I just need to show up and, and teach I did this for 30 years I taught Sunday school and church Romans 13.1 let's just look at that one and Show how it practically influences Christian understanding of civil authorities. Romans thirteen one. Let every person be subjected to the governing authorities, for if there is no, for there is no authority except by God, those exist are put in place. Tassel are there by the appointment of God. Let's now think of Romans thirteen one, and try to get some theological categories. Okay? When we discuss the will of God, th- theology and theologians, me being one of them, have asserted that you have to understand the term for the will of God or the idea of the will of God is used in two different ways. And it's sometimes defined as God's decretive will and his permissive will. Or God's sovereign will and his providential will. Or God's decretive will and his moral will. Okay? Now let's try to unpack romans thirteen one I know i don 't have it up there, but like i said i didn 't know we were going to do this Romans thirteen one and then I brought some material that i've been carrying around from early Christian apologists pleading to the Romans to not treat the Christians so badly, okay, and explaining how we interact with civil authorities that God appoints the civil authorities doesn't mean God approves of everything they do. I thought I'd hear amen. <laughs> <laughs> Civil authorities do a lot of evil things over the centuries, do they not? Yeah. Including Nero and back in the day that this was written. And so how could Paul, who was taught personally by Jesus Christ and appointed by Christ as an apostle, claim that God appointed civil authorities and they exist because of God and that's why we should pray for them and be subject to them and not create our own little rebellious Christian society that won't pay taxes and won't have anything to do with the government because God appointed them. But that doesn't excuse any of them for being evil. That's God's moral wills revealed in the Bible And we can read there to find out that, for example, abortion is evil. Even though civil authorities approve of it. And we can pray for civil authorities and have a worldview telling us that God appoints them in the sense that in his sovereign will he allows the ones we have now. And still say that what they do is evil. That's compatibilism. That's not a mental contradiction or a conundrum. And I want to show you that Christians understood this from the very, very beginning. I have with me here Justin Martyr, whose writings are traced somewhere to about 150 A.D. He was a converted philosopher and... One of his writings I really like is his dialogue with Trifle, a Jew. It shows how they debated back in the early days. He remembers when he's discussing this, some things Jesus said. So Justin Martyr says about what Jesus did. uh, Let me quote Justin Martyr. And everywhere we, more readily than all men, endeavor to pay to those appointed by you taxes both ordinary and extraordinary as we have been taught by him for at that time some came to him and asked him if he had to pay tribute to Caesar and he answered tell me whose image does the coin bear then he cites that incident in the gospels so Justin Morris says Whence well, to God alone we render worship but in other things we gladly serve you that is, the pagan leaders. Christians should pay their taxes, should pray for civil authorities. Paul taught us to do that. And we're not here to start some cultic, underground, rebel against the government group. If people do that in the name of Christ, they don't know the Bible. Now if we understand that I'm just trying to get us to get it to understand a biblical worldview. if we can understand that Christians have always believed that God appoints the civil authorities but that often the civil authorities do evil things but we still pray for them but we're not embarrassed to say evil is evil and we do that too and Paul appealed to Rome he used the privileges that were given by the civil government. So that's compatibilism. And I noticed Justin believed in a literal hell. He says this. This is his apology, by the way, first apology. But if you pay no regard to our prayers and frank explanations, we shall suffer no loss since we believe or rather indeed are persuaded that every man will suffer punishment in eternal fire according to the merit of his deed, and will render account to the power he has received from God, as Christ intimated when he said, to whom God has given more to him, more shall be required. So they fear God. Justin Martyr believed in a literal hell and didn't mind telling the Romans that he did. We'll pay tribute, we'll pay taxes, we'll pray for you, but if you don't repent, you're going to end up in hell. But at least now, Christians are your best citizens. May that be true for us. Now what did they say about Christians? This one will really get you. They said that Christians were atheists. Christians charged with atheism. Why did the Romans call Christians atheists? Because they wouldn't serve the pagan deities that were so prevalent in the Roman Empire. And you see this conflict going on throughout Acts. Remember the revolt because Artemis was losing money? The silversmiths were upset, started a civil revolt because the people were repenting and all they claimed that gods that were made by hands were no gods at all. And so they were upset with the Christians. So they call them atheists. And so then, I'll just summarize this for sake of time. Justin said that these beings that Christians are charged with not worshiping and serving are not actually gods, as the pagans think, but they're demons. Okay, He says, For the truth shall be spoken, since of all these evil demons... Affecting apparitions of themselves, well, then there's a bunch of really disgusting stuff in here. They're they're not gods. The pagans call them gods, but they're not gods. And so, he says, we not only deny that they, who did such things, are as these are gods, but assert that they are wicked and impious demons, whose actions will not bear comparison with even those of men of desirous virtue. So the demons are even worse than some of the pagan humans. And you want us to worship them as gods? And if we don't, you say we're atheists? But he says, no, we worship the true God. Now, let's talk about the abortion issue that we face in America. I still believe what the Bible says, that God appointed the civil leaders. And that includes governors and senators and the various ones in authority, that's who we're commanded to pray for. But we have people, where well, there's a governor in one state who was famous lately for saying that once, I mentioned this last week, a child is born, that you have a conversation about whether the child is allowed to live or not. Well, that reminds me very much of the Roman Empire. One of the things that the early Christians rebuked Rome for was... The fact that they exposed children. The heading here under Justin's apology is guilt of exposing children. Now the way they dealt with children that they did not want was that they just put them out on the rocks. Well, we don't want this baby. Put them out on the rocks. And if somebody wanted a kid, they could go pick them up, take them home and have them. If they didn't, they would just die. That's how the Romans did it. Just put them them outside, let them either die or be picked up. Let me just quote a little bit of Justin. But as for us, we have been taught that to expose newly born children is part of wicked man, says Justin. And this we have been taught, lest we should do anyone an injury, lest we should sin against God. First, because we see that almost all so exposed, not only girls but also males are brought up to prostitution so he's calling this wicked and they throw children out and then the slave traders would come along raise them until they're old enough to make money off of for prostitution so it was really wicked in the Roman Empire but yet the Christians said we pray for the civil Authorities and they were appointed by God. So, God in His providence allows what God in His revealed moral will condemns. That's compatibilism. Christians are obligated under moral duty given to us from God in the Bible to honor him, to follow his moral law by his grace, and to stand against evil, but at the same time pay taxes and pray for the civil authorities. Does anybody want to comment on that? Yes, Eric.
1: Yeah, I, uh, you know, people talk, and and I'm guilty of this too, I I talk about our our culture, you know, how evil it is, can it get any worse? All of that. We we all do that. And you look at you look at Rome, I mean this is nothing. Not that not that we should be self satisfied, we should be salt and light. You know, we should be what Jesus wants us to be, but it could get a lot worse uh, in America. I'm,
0: yes. And it already is worse in a lot of other countries. And it was worse in ancient Rome. And Christians in those days had to deal with it as well, but they kept the biblical worldview. Paul, later in Acts, made very eloquent appeals to Roman authorities about the gospel. One of them said, You're almost going to persuade me, Agrippa. And Paul said, Well, not only you, everyone else I want to persuade. And so, We need to learn how to pray, to live, to believe. But we're not going to be allowed, and some people do this, to make ourselves feel better about God by claiming he doesn't have any control over his own universe. To me, that's anathema. But some very, very smart people do it. I debated one of them. One of the ways they do that is saying God doesn't even know the future. So we can't blame him for what happened. Another way to deal with it is Manichaean dualism. God's in charge of good the devil's in charge of evil. That's dualism. That's not a biblical worldview, Because God's in charge of the devil. So he doesn't just Cut out a segment, turn it over to the devil. Yes, um, pagans and
2: atheists will often say, "How can there be a God when He allows this to happen?" Or that That's their number happen? one argument against the Bible. Right.
0: Problem of evil.
2: <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, is that it's those same pagans and atheists that are part of the governmental system that is allowing and pushing for more
0: of those bad this and bad that to happen. I happen to have a quote from Tertullian, who comes a little bit later, to address that sort of thing, mm-hmm. but that, the number one argument for the atheist is that if there was a God he wouldn't allow evil. Now the problem the atheist has is that how does he know that certain things are evil and good. If there's no God, right. what makes you call it evil? Maybe it's actually good that these things happen. And so, the conscience that God gave, even though marred and seared with the hot iron, still tells people that certain things are evil. So the atheist really has a a, a dilemma. Trying to the other thing is he's de- he's describing universal negative. To know there's no God, you have to be God. And have all knowledge. Because a universal negative is impossible to prove. So you can't really be a logical atheist. Norm. Well,
2: I think God always has some purpose that he's working out when he allows evil to be done. Even though we don't know what it is, and it seems just... uh, wrong in our mind that it would be done. But when you think of uh, Pharaoh, for instance, he he was doing all kinds of bad things, but God allowed him to do it because he had a, a purpose that he was working out for the yeah, Israelites. Yeah, for this reason
0: he was raised and, up.
2: Uh, and in the Joseph. end, we can see it was a, a wonderful, glorious purpose, but God allowed Pharaoh to do all kinds of evil things in the process.
0: Yeah, like Genesis 50:20. is that the right reference to Joseph, you intended it for evil, but God for good. Somebody look up and make sure I got the right reference. Let me tell you, while you're looking for Genesis 50:20. Is it's the right one? Go ahead. As for you, you meant evil against
2: me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to, preser- to
0: preserve many people alive. Okay, before I read Tertullian, let me give you a little thing to remember that will help you with a biblical worldview. God allows evil God uses evil Joseph said because they did evil remember they, uh, and then God overcomes evil as we've seen him do like raising Christ from the dead God allowed Jesus to be crucified in the hands of wicked men but God used it to bring forgiveness of sins through the once-for-all blood atonement, and He overcame it by the resurrection. So God allows evil, God uses evil, God overcomes evil. The fourth point is this: for a greater good than would have been had there never been evil, allows it, uses it, overcomes it, creates the greater good. That's a biblical worldview. Now some philosophers who become irate at this what I believe is a biblical worldview worldview, say that's absurd. If there is a God, he could figure out a better way to do it. Even some Christian philosophers and theologians don't like it. But let me make one more point about this. Never adopt a theology in order to make yourself feel better emotionally there, there must not be a hell I think it all works out you know I think the good Lord will figure it out and it'll all be okay sentimentalism doesn't create good theology I want to get to this I've been sitting here with my finger on the page what about Christians in the early days because it seems to be true in some ways today being blamed for natural calamities this is one of the more famous quotes of an early apologist and this is Tertullian's apology where the Romans were blaming the Christians for everything they went wrong because see the, they believed that all, that all of the things like floods and famines and disasters were under some deity, were caused by some deities being angry with the humans. So the Christians had offended all the various gods, so the gods were wreaking havoc, and it was the Christians' fault because they didn't come and do homage to the god of this, that, and the other thing. Let me read it. Tertullian, quote, If the Tiber rises as high as the city walls, if the Nile does not send its water up over the fields, if the heavens give no rain, if there's an earthquake, if there's a famine or pestilence, straightway the cry is, quote, within a quote, away with the Christians to the lion, unquote. What shall you give such multitudes to a single beast? Interesting gallows humor, right? Pray, tell me how many calamities befell the world in particular cities before Tiberius reigned. Before the coming, that is, of Christ. And he goes on to say, you've always had these things before there even was any Christians. And now you blame us for all of these things. And you think that if you take the Christians and throw them to the lion, the gods are going to be happy because they'll be placated. Away with the Christians to the lions. We'll get rid of all the problems. I see similar things today where people who don't believe in the pagan worldview are blamed for everything that's wrong. Because we just don't get it. We don't get with the one world government. We don't get with erasing all the boundaries. Because we believe in Acts 17, that God draws out boundaries. We don't get with people aborting their babies. We don't get with promoting uh, race consciousness about global warming. I see similarities. Oh, the waters are going to rise. It's the fault of the stupid Christians because they drive their car to work. And it's just what the pagans think. One of them was telling me something like that at at a medical appointment. And I said, really? Really? I said, well, let me comfort you. Driving your car to work is not going to change the ocean level. (laughs) Oh, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree. No, we're going to have to learn reality. I don't buy this agree to disagree. That's what people say when they have no argument. Why don't you tell me exactly in parts per million how much... carbon dioxide would need to be in the atmosphere so the climate never changes again. I've asked that to a whole bunch of people. I keep doing it, including very smart people who want to debate. Tell me the number. 300, 250, 350, What is it? And how is it that my car staying in the garage is going to put the the whole globe into a certain number a tiny little trace element, carbon dioxide, which is not a pollution or pollutant because it's necessary for life. You get rid of all of it, all life ceases on Earth. So zero means everybody dies. So what's the number, you tell me, that we're shooting for? Well, Nobody knows. And they, in fact, if they're not liars, they'll admit that if it was a stable number, the climate would still change. Because there's dozens and dozens of other factors. That are relating to each other in a very complex dynamic system, which means one factor influences two or three others, that influence two or three others, and in fluid dynamics you have so many complexities, so many variables that you cannot write a differential equation to describe it because it's utterly impossible because you have too few constants and too many variables, and the people that come up with their models showing the earth, that Florida is going to go under Underwater, water, decide to manipulate the constants and the variables into a workable model to create the outcome they're looking for before they ever made the model. Right. So we're not stupid enough to believe that. But the Christians to the lion. We've got to get rid of these people. They're not getting with it. They insist on doing things like heating their homes. You wicked sinners.
2: Go ahead. All right, let me calm Bob down here a minute. <laughs> and here I was going to save my voice for a sermon. Yes. Doing you a favor, So actually. much for that. Yeah, please. Yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, back to your Christians getting blamed for everything back uh, in the Roman Empire. It's not new, is it? No. No prior to the Christians getting blamed for everything, weren't the Jews getting blamed for everything? And then after they that... They still are. And now today the Jews are still getting blamed yeah. for everything. anybody
0: who believes the Bible in any way, shape, or form.
2: Right. And then I wanted to also just say, when you, uh, with, uh, with the evil that you were talking about, I wanted to add one more, and that's in the
0: future, God will eliminate evil. He will. That's because there'll be a new... But see, you know what they don't like this one, that's why I include this. I just finished an article. i got to go back over it. It's on this Enneagram. You know what you have to assert that they, that none of the pagans or the Christianized pagans can tolerate? The desire of the pagans is for ultimate oneness in some sort of a paradise, a future paradise without judgment. If you assert That in the future, there's going to be eternal reward for those who know God, the righteous, okay, in a future paradise. And there's an eternal punishment for the wicked in hell, and that there's actual identity of humans in both places. In other words, actual people who stay the actual people are punished, and that's the way they are. And the p- actual people who serve Christ by his grace are rewarded, and they stay who they are. You have no merging into the cosmos or apotheosis or theosis, as Greek Orthodox said, ascent into godhood. But you have these humans who are glorified if they're Christians. And are still finite humans, but ever learning for, throughout all eternity. And you have the other. If you put that out there, that exposes where people are coming from. Because I don't care how Christian they say they are. If you say that, they will become irate. That, now you cross the line. You've offended most of the churches. Well, yes. This is a neogram. So my article, I I lay that out at the end. Because I don't believe these Christians with their sacred neogram believe there's a literal hell. Because they're panentheists, although they're too timid to actually say it that way. They believe God is in everything. So let me tell you, what are we going to do in this kind of a world? Well, let me tell you, Tertullian just said that the Christians get thrown to the lion because of natural calamities, so the gods are angry with the Christians. Eric and I, I don't know if you've been listening, they're on YouTube now and also our podcast. Eric and I did a whole eight, series of 18, they're not all broadcast yet, of Bible Prophecy Radio. And then Jessica turned them into YouTube. And we talk about all of this in those broadcasts. And I I hope that you get a chance to avail yourself to those things. But Bible prophecy is very, very important. And that God is going to bring future judgment is taught by God in the Bible. Christ talked about hell. And that there is no emerging into oneness of the cosmos into the cosmic mind of the universe. That's a lie from Satan. But even though we're hated and mocked, at least those who still believe these things, we're still commanded to pray for the civil authorities and be good citizens. Let me, see what, let me read to you what Tertullian said. This is what he said. After all that other stuff, we pray for life prolonged for the security, for security to the empire, for protection to the imperial house, for brave armies, a faithful senate, a virtuous people, the world at rest, whatever as man or Caesar an emperor would wish. These things I cannot ask, says Tertullian, from any but the God from whom I know shall obtain them, both because he alone bestows them and because I have claims upon him for their gift as being a servant of his, rendering homage to him alone, persecuted for his doctrine, offering to him at his own requirement that costly and noble sacrifice of prayer dispatched from a chaste body, an unstained soul, and sanctified spirit. So prayer is a sacrifice to God. Now, can you imagine? They were being hated, thrown to lions, persecuted, vilified, slandered, all of these things. And the early Christians said, well, for all that, we pray for your well-being, that, that, that the empire is successful, that the Senate does well, and so on. I think that's very amazing. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? So when I say the things I do, disagreeing with the common worldview of the politicians and the populace, I, mean, I believe it's right to speak truth. Okay? And we need to do valid binding and losing. What is sin and what isn't sin? That's what Christians need to know. And I've done that in some of my debates with the global warming people. Maybe the globe is going to warm. I don't know. Only God knows the future. But what I need to know as a Christian, am I sinning because I drive my truck and heat my house? I need to know if I'm sinning. Because if I sin with a high hand, I'm an apostate and I'm lost. So you need to tell me that the Bible says it's a sin to do things that produce Carbon dioxide, which would include breathing, by the way. Well, you know what happens? Well, uh, er, uh, well, we do too much. Who's we? This corporate what? Oh, well, America is evil. That's it. See, it's always something like that. Don't be deceived. I don't care who doesn't like it. I'm going to tell the truth. Yes, brother. Uh, yes, getting back to uh, accountability, we pray for our for our governments. We don't always approve of them, but they're better than the demonic realm. No question yes. of that. Uh, Acts five verse twenty-eight. It says, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in, in, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us by accusing us as his murderers. I mean, this is going against uh, the... He Eastern. said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Right. Okay, thank you. That's exactly what we need to talk about in this context. Absolutely right. If the civil government commands us to do evil then we got to do good instead and take the consequence because we can see that even in Tertullian and Justin Martyrs they they weren't contemporaneous, Tertullian was a little later because the Christians were thrown to the lion because they wouldn't do homage to the gods why wouldn't they? They are commanded by civil authorities to do it because they can su- they can worship no God but the triumph God of the Bible that they cannot do they 're commanded not to preach the gospel we 've got to obey God rather than men right we 're commanded to deny Christ we will not do so because he 's the eternal judge so therefore, when it comes to those things, we obey God rather than man. But when it comes to paying taxes and praying for civil authorities, we do that. Yes? Um, I
2: think it's also important to, to realize that we're, to, we're not to do, uh, when the government says not for us not to do something and we're to do something God calls us to do, we're to do it also, the flip side of that.
0: Right, well, I preach the gospel. Right. Right. So if they yep. tell us not to preach the gospel, we do it.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, then also, oh, sorry, and I was also thinking Ephesians 5, 11 through 14 states that we are to expose sin. And we in MacArthur- do
0: ex- we expose it, but we're not trying to create a theocracy so we can throw the pagans to the lion. Correct, but we are, we are, we are to expose it and shed the light Well, Well, thankfully, we can do that in America so far which is what I'm doing right now with the abortion thing. We're calling evil, evil, and good good. Okay, well, that we can always do. Well, that's what these guys were doing. That's what these guys were doing right here. Justin Martyr called evil, evil. Tertullian called evil, evil. They rebuked the exposing of children. They abuked, rebuked prostitution. They rebuked polytheism. They rebuked demons posing as gods. They rebuked the false teaching that claims the calamities happen because the gods are unhappy with the Christians. Yes, we should always do that. Absolutely. Back to compatibilism. As many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. Let's apply it to that. All right? Appointed is tasso, same word used in Romans thirteen one for those powers being put in place by God. One of the themes, this is picked up from a week ago, in Luke Acts is the sovereignty of God. And to the point that we've been talking about, the faith in Luke Acts is described It's intersecting with civil authorities. It happens from the very beginning. Luke tells us who was in charge at the very beginning of Luke. Who was the emperor? Who was the governor? Why there was a census required? How that caused uh, Joseph and Mary to be where they were when Jesus was born? And in, early in Luke, you have that Jesus was born where he was, was a fulfillment of scripture. But on the scene of history, it happened. Why? Because of these events in the political world that they lived in. They were required to go to their, for the census. Am I getting this right? I think I am. It's all from memory. Please, by the way, if I say something wrong, or I got the wrong verse reference, or I'm just like going off the chart here, I prefer you tell me right now in Sunday school. Because it's harder to fix later when I figure out from the tape that it was wrong, or the recording.
2: Yes? So when Paul and Barnabas are uh, the teaching here, Yes. It's not like the uh, the people who are hearing, they're not intellectually convinced of everything because Ephesians tells us that the, the, the belief or the faith is the gift from God, which is the impetus for their belief.
0: Yes. Now, let me address that quickly because this will come up. I think we need to do our theological teaching in the church. I don't trust the seminaries and Bible colleges. All right, so I'm going to teach theology in the church. In theology, and if you read theology, you'll come across this phrase called "ordo salutis." Anybody heard that? "Ordo salutis" means order of salvation. Now, ordo salutis is a way of discussing the things that happen in salvation in their logical relationship to each other. In reality, conversion is instantaneous. But our reading about it in the Bible and our thinking about it includes things that are distinguished from one another. And so we think about what precedes what. One famous one that's a cause of debate is faith. Does faith precede the grace and regenerating power of God through the spirit? In other words, does man generate his own faith before conversion, and then having done so, sets all these other things in motion. No, You're saying no? No,
2: I'm saying, yeah, man's not making a decision.
0: To well, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, I know you don't <laughs> You better be. All right. are <laughs> <laughs> <You're> unlocking. Well, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> if you. Uh, teach me about gardening, I will not question a thing. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now, but why? See, this was debated big time between Rome and the reformers. Because Rome taught what's called prevenient grace. Has anybody heard of prevenient grace? Well, let me tell you it's from old English. The word prevent In fact, you find that in the King James Bible used in this way means to go before doesn't mean to stop something in the old English. It meant to go before for one of the Psalms in the King James says, our prayers prevent God. Well, it means our prayers go before God. Okay, so prevenient means it goes before. Now, the thing that Erasmus um, that um, debated against Luther said about that is that prevenient grace is universal, so that all humans, regardless of who they are, have already received prevenient grace and the reason I say that is they use a passage in John. I'm sure Eric will talk about all this when he gets to it. But it's passing in John. It says, he is the light coming into the world, enlightens every man. And so that's their proof text for provenient grace. So that all, when Christ came, all humans are enlightened a little. And what they say is just enough to remove just enough original sin of Adam so that if they decide to, they could believe the gospel. That's prevenient grace. If you don't have prevenient grace, but you believe that salvation is generated by humans believing, then you are a plagian. Now, what is a plagian? Plagius, according to his, the people that debated against him, denied original sin that all are not dead in Adam, even though 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says they are. So you deny original sin, and then you make salvation in some regard a work of man. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, I can't tell you when it started. It it was just a bad thing that kept getting worse. But somewhere back in their councils and creeds, the Roman Catholic Church condemned Pelagius. And so they don't want to be Pelagian because they already condemned that. But if they want to condemn Luther and not be Pelagian, they have to be semi-Pelagian. Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school? I can see the joy right now. Being how you will to hear this in a seminary, I'll tell you right now. So that means John 1, I think it's John 1, 9 or whatever says, there's a little light that came, everybody already has it. And so then if you add a little bit to that and lay out the thing about making a decision, people might add their tiny bit and believe, and then they're regenerated, and then grace and forgiveness. All the things that happen, happen. After man puts his part in, like the little drop of hardener in the epoxy glue. Right? That's... Semi-Pelagianism. And I ran across this in the 90s when, 80s and 90s when I was trying to figure out what I ne- believed and needed to believe as a teacher. And I decided the Bible doesn't teach prevenient grace. And I can't teach what the Bible doesn't teach. And the solas are the reformed doctrine of the Reformation that rebuked Erasmus. And it says, no, everything is a work of God. Salvation is a work of God alone. Using means, but a work of God alone. And so all of the things that that are part of this ordo salutis are all a work of God alone, through his means, the means of the gospel preached. Luther asserted that, the soulless. So when we talk about ordo salutis, we're, we're talking about logical relationship because we like to talk about theology. So we're saying regeneration pre- precedes faith because if the Holy Spirit didn't make a dead sinner alive, the dead sinner would never believe. Faith is a gift of God and uh, not something generated by humans. Yes, go ahead.
1: Uh, What this reminds me of, a couple of things. This is just excellent. There's so many comments we could make. But, you know, I think of, and I was looking for it, you know, the secret, you know, Moses saying, you know, that you're responsible for this law, but the secret things belong to God. And what we do as human beings, we try to dissect and analyze how do we come to faith? And you know, that's, that's up to God. God understands how that happens. We try to make it linear. We try to say this comes first and all of that, and we fail. Um, you know, it's just there's the universal call. You know, and come a, and to an me.
0: effectual call.
1: And then there's the effectual call. And we try to reconcile that, but God... Reconciles this. We we don't. We're not able to, and yes, it's just that's just the way it is. But we're supposed to be faithful, as Christians. We're supposed to be faithful and trusting. Um, the, the early Christians that were being slaughtered, you know, and they still prayed for their government. Amen. And they still believed in the providence of God.
0: Well, see, I have I found after I finally made a commitment to just follow the Bible, whatever, and I could not teach pervenient grace because I can't find it in the Bible and if it was so important prevenient grace is true is one of the most important organizing factors of Christianity well then I want to know why Christ and his apostles didn't tell us that I, I can't think I have to believe something that they forgot to tell me about because frankly Paul said that we are dead we were dead sinners what do the dead do? remember what Erequois says? They stink up the place. <laughs> you were in an Adam all die. Romans 5 12, 1 Corinthians 15 22. So regeneration is coming alive. But God uses means. So if you know, let's look at the apostles in Acts. If you know that in a given city, there are some, we don't know who they are, who are appointed to eternal life. Right? But we don't know who they are. And you know that the means God will use to make dead sinners alive is the gospel. Acts twenty six eighteen transferred from the dominion of Satan to God, from darkness to light. By the way, that would be an argument against John 1, 9, saying, provenient grace, because you were in darkness before you were saved. You weren't enlightened. you were just, I know I was. All right, listen. That gives you boldness to preach. Because we know God will use it. We don't know where and when or how. As the wind blows, so goes the spirit. So Jesus said, some people will be born again. I don't know who they are. I don't know the mind of God. I don't know why he saved me. I'll guarantee you I did not deserve it. If I would have dropped right into hell for the things I said when I was resisting, there would have been perfect justice in the world. But God loved me and showed me mercy when I didn't deserve it. I love the church. I love you people who you, you just love to learn, and don't be afraid to ask hard questions, and don't be afraid to disagree. We believe in the priesthood of every believer. Luther said any believer in the church can go rebuke the Pope. Amen. Well, we don't have any Pope. We don't have anything close to it. So from lesser to greater, you can certainly rebuke us teachers if we have it wrong. But come with the scripture and help show us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your truth. And dear Lord, we want to Be bold, and we want to pray for the government. We do pray for the civil authorities as you've commanded us, and we know that you're going to use all things to the furtherance of your eternal purposes. Pray that you be with us as we have a service upstairs. In Jesus' name, amen.